Amen, amen. It is good to see you in the house. Wow. I walked to the front of the room and turned around and there's like, bam, you know. <laughs> All these people are here. It's good to see you in church today. My name is Andy Stovall. I am the Congregational Life Pastor at the Princeton location. I see a lot of familiar faces. I see some new faces. I'm just glad to be here, you know. I'm just tickled that y'all let me come and be a part of service today. How many of you are so thankful for Pastor Allen and Misty and their ministry here at the bridge? Man, does, I'm telling you, come on, boo. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to bring some Allen in here today, and uh, I can't do it quite like he can, but uh, you know. I love Alan and uh, just so thankful for all that they do. Just so thankful for the work that you guys are accomplishing. I got to be honest with you, when Lindsay was talking about the paint party, I got to thinking, man, I got a couple rooms at the house. You know, I mean, if y'all are, <laughs> and the ladies back there going, no, I am painting a little thing. I ain't painting your room. But um, I tell you, painting, mm, there's a whole lot of things God created other people to do. And uh, I wasn't created to paint, so I'm thankful there are people that love it. But it is good to see you today. Good to be in church with you this morning. We are in a series, brand new, starting today called Breaking Free. And we are going to be looking at the seven deadly sins. How many of you have ever gotten direct mail um, uh, in the mailbox? Maybe it's a bright colored envelope. Or maybe you've just been sitting around the den. How many of you have had this happen? You're sitting around in your den, and maybe you, I'm not saying it's because these things are in the room, but you got your cell phone with you, you got your Alexa Echo Dot, or whatever that thing may be, and you're talking about a particular subject. And then you go on Facebook, and all of a sudden you got all these advertisements for this thing you're talking about. Maybe we looked it up. I don't know. I don't know who's listening, what they're doing. But anyway, we get these letters in the mail or maybe this thing on Facebook and it's, uh, have you ever been fat? Have you ever been skinny? Have you ever been lazy? Have you ever been compulsive? Have you ever been depressed? Well, this is for you. For $29.95, you can get this thing that will change your life. All you got to do, six easy payments. My mama loves QVC because you can do... You can do flex pay or easy pay or whatever pay they call it. She, she's bought seven or eight things in a month. And then the bill comes and she's like, why am I getting charged all these things? Because it's easy pay, mama. You got to pay $13.99 every month for the next 72 months for that awesome vacuum cleaner that's going to change your life and do everything you ever thought it would do. Um, but we'll pay that money for some of these things because we're all looking for ways to improve our life, aren't we? We're looking for those things, a way to gain control, and we're willing to pay for it. If you were honest, sitting here right now and you wrote a list, what areas in your life would you say, I need more control in? There are some areas in my life where I know I'm not in control like I need to be. I, I, I tell you one of mine, my wife's right here, so I can't lie about it. But, but I love to snack. How many of you love to go home in the evening and, and graze? I, I love to do it. Now, I got, I, I got 150 channels to look at, and I got to eat some stuff while I'm doing it. It's hard work, you know. But we're going to graze. We want to look at these things. And, 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 
but I want you to look at your list. I want you to think about your list. What are those things in your life? And then I want to say something that hopefully will give you some peace right now. And that is to know that there's nothing new under the sun. The thing that you need more control in your life with. And maybe some of you would sit here this morning and say, I'm completely out of control in this area in my life. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. And I'm going to completely destroy this man's name. But it it goes back as far as the 4th century and even before then. But monk Evagrius Ponticus. That's the best way this old Georgia boy can say that. And I know it's wrong, so don't correct me at the end, okay? I know I did that wrong, but you get the idea. Um, he wrote initially what was, what was first called the Eight Evil Thoughts, which today is known as the Seven Deadly Sins. Um, he wasn't writing to a general audience. He was writing to ascetic monks, people who had set themselves apart solely for living their entire life for God. I don't want any distractions in my life, nothing to keep my focus off of what God wants for my life. And there have been attempts to update it, but the list still stands. They are pride, greed, envy, wrath, lust, gluttony, and sloth. All of these are Hurts, habits, and hang-ups, if you've ever been familiar with Celebrate Recovery. We, we have that on Tuesday nights in Rosewood. But these are, these are things that can bring destruction and completely mess up our lives. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 7. And by the way, and I always fail to do this because I leave my phone in the car when I come into church to preach. You know why I do that? Because I was standing on the stage one day and a man in the sound booth called me on my phone while I was standing on the stage. Thank you for not calling me. (laughs) If you had, it would have rang in the car. But I did forget to tell you, if you do have your uh, smartphones with you and you have downloaded the app, you can find the notes uh, right there under Smithfield. You can find the notes for the message today. So... um, And then, of course, you'll see it up on the screen as well. But in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, But I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, say that seven times fast. And... uh, But how many of you can relate to that? Here's what he's saying. I know what I ought to do, and that's the thing I know I should do, and I want to do, but I don't do it. Have you ever been there? I want to do what's right, but I don't. I do what's wrong. Jesus said it this way in Mark 14, 38. The spirit is willing, but what? The body is weak. My spirit is willing, but my body is weak. Have you ever broken a bad habit only to go back to that same habit in two weeks? So did we really break it? We just kind of let it go on vacation for a little while, you know. 
Um, or a New Year's re- resolution. You ever made a New Year's resolution? I got in my notes here and kept it till February. That's probably a long time for a lot of us for resolutions. By the 20th or 25th, it's like, ah, did I really want to do that? The gym is bad. It's hard. You know, I don't want to do that. Um, resolutions aren't enough. They're just not enough. I, I'm never going to smoke again. I'm never going to lose my temper again. Just one more bite. This is the one we say, and I'm telling you, it's August, but it's going to be here just like that after Christmas. After Christmas, I'm going to start doing X, Y, Z. And there are three results that come from resolving to do something. Do you know what they are? The first is confusion. Why can't I do this? Why can't I change? I want to do this so bad. And then that turns into frustration. We get irritated. I have the will to do good, but I don't have the power. I want to change, but I don't know how. I have the motivation, but I don't have the determination. I have the desire, but I don't have the power. All of those things that go on. And and one of the issues with self-help books is they tell you what to do, but oftentimes they don't tell you how to get there. How do we... How do we do this? So we try and we fail. We get confused and frustrated. We get in this cycle. And, and we ask the Lord to forgive us and help us. And He does. But, but then we just keep trying to do it ourselves. We won't give it to Him and let it go. And then we get discouraged. In Romans 7.24, in the Living Bible paraphrase, it says, Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? And, and uh, I like that, but I'm telling you, sometimes I need it a little bit more direct. I love what one translation says here. It says, I am a wretched, uh, or what a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I'm telling you, I, I need to hear that. Sometimes our life is a mess. And we just can't change. We aim for the stars and we hit the dust. I make promises to myself and God and family only to fail again and again. And I'm so tired of failing. And when we get in that place of discouragement, what is our inclination? I guess it's how it's always going to be. I just give up. You know, Paul said, the thing that I want to do, the thing that I, that I desire to do, I, ju- I, I just can't do. All right, God bless you. Best of luck. You're dismissed. Aren't we glad that Jesus didn't leave us there? That he didn't say that's it? Because isn't that the state that we're in? We find ourselves, anybody that says they've never faced that before is, is lying. So please do not raise your hand if you say, well, that ain't never been a problem for me. It's a problem for all of us. But there's good news. The same Paul who wrote about this struggle in Romans later wrote in Philippians chapter 2 verse 13, Yes, God is working in you to help you want to do what pleases Him. Then He gives you the power to do it. Again, in the NIV there it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. He helps us do that. What does that tell us in that verse of scripture? It is not in me. And it is not in you. 
to do it yourself. There isn't a little God in you that you got to tap into and then suddenly you'll come to this self-discovery and be able to magically attack and do all the things that need to be done. No, it's through the power of Jesus working in and through our lives. He also wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Somebody say amen to that. Aren't we thankful for that? But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. How many of us know that we go through tough times? We go through hard times. We go through temptations. And for the next few weeks, we're going to look at, very honestly, these seven deadly sins and focus on the way out that God has given us. Um, For many people that hear this message... Not just here at this location, but at all of our locations and online and online audience. I want to welcome you as well today. We're glad that you're watching, but this could potentially be some of the most liberating uh, seven weeks of people's lives. That God would finally get them to a place where we're able to see, man, there is a way to break free from this. It could be a generational sin, something that has been going on in your family for generations, not just years, but decades into centuries going way back. And God could break that thing. So in the few minutes we have left, I want to look at the first of the deadly sins. And that is breaking free from the sin of pride. I asked Pastor Allen, why was it you asked me to preach today when we're talking about pride? Is there something I need to know? And he just laughed and said, you'll figure it out. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That didn't happen, but it did get a laugh. So the first thing we look at of the five elements of breaking free from pride is the ability to admit our failures honestly. We have to admit our failures honestly. Proverbs 28, 13, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful with it successful but if he confesses and forsakes them he is given another chance if we conceal our sins we will not prosper but the one who confesses and renounces them will find mercy we have to be willing to admit our mistakes to confess and not conceal things in our life but bring them to the light because what happens when we bring a sinful attitude before God, and we put it in the light. What happens to the power that sin has over us? It's eliminated, right? Nobody can hold it over you. The enemy can't hold it over you. Say, I got you. I got you. Can you blackmail somebody that ain't got nothing against them to be blackmailed for? No, you can't. I'll tell this about you. Go ahead. I've already told God and everybody else. They already know how messed up I am. Now, let's just see if you can admit it. Some may argue that if I admit my failures honestly, that people will use that against me. And that may be true, but that isn't your biggest problem. Your biggest problem isn't that people would use that frailty against you. Your biggest problem is that pride blocks you from seeing that failure. That inadequacy in your life. We all like to pray, God, if if I've sinned, please forgive me. If I've done anything against you, 
Can I say something assuredly to you and to the guy who's standing behind this podium? Because I'm not just talking to you today. I'm talking to me today. The answer to that for me is, oh yeah, you have. You've blown it. You've messed up. But there is forgiveness for you. 1 John 1, 8 says, If I claim to be without sin, I deceive myself and the truth is not in me. If you can't think of what it is that you need to confess, pray David's prayer in Psalm 139, verse 23. I love this prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my heart. That my heart is for you. My heart is to honor you. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. God, search me. I heard one commentator say that was why God said David was a man after his own heart. Because when you look at David's life, was it a mess? Did he deal with some of these sins? Yeah, pride and lust and envy and all those things. Yes, he dealt with those things. But he said, search me, God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Help me to see. What it is that's in me. Because God if there is any pride in me. I want you to break it. I want you to break it in me. Because I don't have it all together. But I want to grow. Secondly we have to evaluate our strengths realistically. Pride is often based on false evaluation. Humility is based in truth. Romans 12, 3 excuse me, says, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, humility is not putting yourself down, and it's not denying your strengths. You're very talented in some areas. Everybody here, there are a lot of people sitting in this room that are way better at a bunch of stuff that I'm not good at at all. Okay? I don't, I'm not, don't, don't put me in on a construction site and let me lead it. Now, if you tell me step by step how to do it, I'll help you. Chuck is sitting back there. Chuck, tell me what tool to hand you, and I'll help you plumb a house. But I don't know how to do it myself. Humility is not about denying your strengths, but it's about being honest in your assessment of your strengths and your weaknesses. A great president, what do they do? Do they know how to do everything that the office of president of these United States requires them to do? No. That's why they have a cabinet. They surround themselves with people who, don't, who are way better at doing the stuff they don't do well. And when they release them to do that, what do they look like? Geniuses, you know? This guy is a genius. He allowed that person to do that. Pride is, talking about evaluating our strengths realistically, is the little girl who ordered the banana split and when she was challenged on whether her stomach could hold that much ice cream or not, she said, I'm bigger on the inside than I am on the out. As she walked away with a tummy ache when she got done eating it. Pride is pretending to be something that you're not. Galatians 6.4, each one should test their own actions and then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to someone else. This is an individual evaluation. Don't compare. Don't uh, 
look at other people. Because when we look to the right and to the left and we're comparing ourselves to one another, there's always going to be somebody we've got a leg up on. But then there are going to be people that, uh, you know, um, are doing it better than we are. But it's an individual thing. If we want to break free from damaging pride, we have to be honest about our failures. We have to be real about our strengths and weaknesses. And then we have to enjoy successes gratefully. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Who says you are better than others? What do you have that has not been given to you? And if it was given to you, why do you brag as if you did not receive it as a gift? My granddaddy would say it this way. Don't get too big for your britches, boy. Now, some of you might have heard this growing up. You may not have, but I used to hear also, if you do, I'll turn you over my checkerty apron. <laughs> I never saw my grandparents wear a checkerty apron, but I'm glad they didn't turn me over it. And you may hear that and say, well, wait a minute now. I built my own business with these two hands. I came up with that idea that has just exploded in growth. Who gave you those hands? Who gave you that cognitive brain power that you have to do what you're doing? How many of you chose who you were born to? Who your parents were? Where you were born? Your genes and chromosomes? Your natural abilities? Here's the truth. In reality, we all have designer genes. Because we have all... You got that, didn't you? <laughs> We've all been handcrafted in the womb, right? God created us all. And everything that we have is a gift from God. And what we do with that gift is our gift to God. Honoring Him. Saying thank you. Coming back to Him as we sing, Good, good Father. Recognizing that everything comes from Him. It isn't me. I haven't done anything. I, I tell people, I used to say it all the time. I probably need to say it more often than I do now. But I, I used to tell people, if it's good, it's God. If it's bad, blame me. Okay? Because I got in His way. So... Whenever success is realized in your life and, and you realize that you've worked hard and you used opportunities and, you, and you've really invested well, man, be proud of that. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't ever forget that it all came from God. I love what Chuck Swindoll says about this issue of being grateful. When you find yourself succeeding, remember the lesson of the whale. Have you ever heard the lesson of the whale? When you get to the top and you're just about to blow, be careful. That's when you get harpooned. <laughs> you get harpooned at the top. So don't blow too hard about your success and how great you are. Remember it all came from him. Enjoy your success, but realize and have humility in that. And then number four, serve others unselfishly. Serve others unselfishly. I've noticed, um, really, we, we've seen a lot more of it in the last year and a half with the pandemic and, and all the things that have been going on. 
there's an epidemic of depression. This generation uh, is six times greater at, at risk of depression than our, our parents were. And why is this? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot going on in our lives. But, but really, a lot of it comes down to us being self-centered. It's about me. Psychology Today, there was an article in there uh, titled American Blues. And I want to quote just a few things from it. It said, just as the belief in the nation has been crumbling over years, belief in God has also been fading. And skyrocketing divorce rates have weakened the family as well. When the individual can no longer believe that the country is a powerful and enduring unit and that the family is no longer a source of support or that a relationship with God is important, where else can they turn for identity, fulfillment, or hope? There's one alternative, and where is that? We turn to ourselves, And that is causing a tremendous amount of depression because... In and of ourselves, we see all those frailties. We see all those weaknesses. We know. How many of you have ever put on that brave face? You've put on that mask. And you've walked into a public arena. And somebody has said, how are you doing today? And you lied. Because you said, fine. And you weren't, right? If you listen to Christian radio, there's a song uh, that we, my wife and I traveled to Georgia just the other week, and I don't know how many times we heard that song, but you say, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine, but I'm not. I'm broken. I'm hurting. And the only way to get healing from that is to be honest about it, to acknowledge it and say, yeah, I'm not great. And I know that in every circumstance, that's not the moment or the time to, you know, say, I'm not fine. You know, when you're going up to the bank and you're heading to the teller window and there's 35 people behind you, pouring your heart out to that poor teller is not the time to do it. But if you know the teller, schedule lunch. Go do it later, right? But open up. Um, but depression is a very real thing. In the same month, in Greater Good magazine, there was an article entitled Helpers High. Where this, and this was an encouraging thing. It said Americans are beginning to realize that the more you take on a servant's heart, a humble, willing to help others' heart, the more it lifts you out of depression. Now let me say this. I understand that when people are struggling in depression, it isn't as simple as just looking at somebody and saying, okay, just be happy, do happy things, you know. It isn't always that easy, and I'm not saying that it is. But what I do know, according to the Word of God, is with His help and with the help of people that He may intersect our lives with, we can know better days. I'm glad that psychology is learning what God has said for 2,000 years. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, it says, When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. 
Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking less about yourself. Having an external focus where we look at other people and the needs that they may have and say, how can I be a blessing to someone else? And then lastly, five, humble yourself voluntarily. Humble yourself voluntarily. James chapter 4 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You notice that there's a choice there. Humility is a choice. It's something that we do. Nowhere in the Bible do we see people asking God to humble them. Now, He will humble us down if we're haughty and we exalt ourselves. But humility is a choice. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Something I choose to do in the way that I act, in the way that I speak to others, in the way that I respond to criticism, it is a choice that I make. The equation here is if I humble myself, then God will lift me up. The more I admit my weaknesses honestly, the more I evaluate my strengths realistically, the more I enjoy my successes gratefully, the more I serve others unselfishly, and the more humble, uh, uh, the more I humble myself voluntarily, the more God will lift me up. And the opposite is true in Proverbs 16:18. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. I want us to look real quickly. I'm actually doing really well. For those watching online, if you've never seen me before or heard me preach, it's 1121. It's a miracle. <laughs> I've, got, I've got one page of notes left. And I've gone through eight. So that's pretty good. But I wanted to take a moment, and I did that purposefully. I wanted to take a moment to, to, to settle in on a passage of Scripture. Really, just to be quite honest, it's not in your notes. Because as I was going through this one last time, kind of preaching to the wall yesterday and uh, gathering my thoughts and allowing the Lord to speak to me, He led me to a verse, a passage, that many of you have heard preached from before. But it's 2 Chronicles 20, beginning in verse 12. Through 18. And, um, and we're here with King Jehoshaphat. And there are three armies that have come against uh, the people of Israel. There are the, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the men of, of Shear. And we pick it up as, as Jehoshaphat is realizing he is in a position that he can't win. He is being attacked by armies on all sides. They are way bigger than him. And he even says uh, earlier in this chapter, he said, You know, when we left Egyptian bondage, you, Lord, told us not to attack these folks. And here's what they're repaying us with. They're coming and attacking us in the land that you told us was our inheritance. Lord, will you not judge them? He says in verse 12. For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Now here you have the king declaring, God, we don't know what to do. 
Have we seen some of those times? Have we faced that in our life? Even of late as a nation? God, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. He gave direction and said, Don't look to Jehoshaphat. Look to him. Look to the one who made your king. Let's look to him. And then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. And he stood in the assembly and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the path of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. I love the lesson there. He said, you're not going to have to fight the battle, but you are going to have to do something. Tomorrow, you're going to have to march down against them. Take your positions. Stand firm. And see the deliverance the Lord will give you. And Jehoshaphat, the king, who didn't deliver this word. One of his trusted men did. But he wasn't the king. Could have looked at him in pride and said, I'm not sure about that. The king is not sure. That's what we should do. But that's not what he did. Because what he did was he set aside his pride and he set aside any kind of pompous way that could have been about him and acknowledged before men and God I don't know what to do Lord but our eyes are on you and then the word of the Lord came to him and when it came to him and the people do you know what he did it says Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. They took their positions. They heard the worst carrying on. For those of you who need that interpretation, there was a ruckus going on. There was a, a clamor. It was loud. And it says the men of Moab and Ammon turned and they were 
they fought the men of Shear and then they turned against themselves and fought one another. And when the men of Judah and Jerusalem came up over the hill, you know what the Bible says they saw later on in this chapter? Men just laying. They were dead. They had turned against one another. God had delivered His people from an enemy, from an attack that was too big for them. Maybe you're facing something today that's too big for you. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you wrestle with the sin of pride. Or maybe it's some other hidden sin. Something you've, or maybe you're thinking it's hidden, but the people who know you and love you the most, they recognize it full well and are hoping you'll come to the realization that it's there. But whatever it is you're facing, God says, would you do something for me? Would you humble yourself? Would you set aside your pride? Acknowledge your frailty and allow me to do what I desire to do in you. Because this enemy is too big for you. When I mentioned earlier about that struggle of not wanting to do it, but finding yourself doing it over and over and over again and constantly going to God and saying, I'm sorry. There are some in the room and some that are watching that you're weary. Weary of that exercise. And you're like, God, I just pray that today would be the day I could let it go, lay it down and leave it there. The problem is you've been fighting this battle. God is saying to you this morning just like he did Jehoshaphat and his people the battle isn't yours you're not going to have to fight it but you are going to have to stand you are going to have to take your position you are going to have to choose me but I'll help you if you trust me Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So how do we break free from destructive pride? We look with honest eyes at how much God loves us. We look with honesty at how frail we are. And incapable we are of breaking free on our own. And we trust Him for that breakthrough. Now He's calling us to action. We got to do our part. We got to take that stand. We got to take our position. We got to be in His Word. We got to be prayed up. But then we can watch and see. Not just for us, but for our kids and for our children's children. I got a kid here today. She's not a kid anymore. 
makes me proud. It makes me sad. Because <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> but every time we've watched her dance on a stage. Every time we've had the opportunity to see any of our kids do anything. We got to go to Greensboro the other night and watch our son play guitar. In sock feet, because that was cool, I guess. I don't know. But he was doing it for Jesus. I want to do this for them. I want to do this for the grandchildren that are coming. I want to do this for the great-grandchildren. If we can't see past ourself, it's a great indicator that there are some things we need to do business with, with our Heavenly Father. Because this isn't just about you. This decision of laying down pride and laying down in the weeks to come greed and envy and wrath and lust and gluttony and sloth. This is about the generations that will follow. Long after I'm gone. I've blown it as a dad in a lot of ways. But what I pray I've done is pointed my children to the only one that can give them what they need to overcome this stuff in their life. And that's why we lay this down. Not just for us, but for our family, for our children and our children's children. Your children listen to the preachers and the leaders of the church, but who do they spend the most time with every week? Us. When they move out and they're on their own, who do they listen to? Who do they call back? Who do they come and see and say, this is going on in my life? What do you think? God's calling us to be faithful, to lead them well. To be honest enough with ourselves this morning to say, God, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. Where have you been looking lately? Has it been to him? Or has it been somewhere else? Today he's calling us to readjust our gaze. Keep them fixed there. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, I thank you for this word. I pray that it resonates. Because I believe in my heart that it is a word that we all need to hear. It's something we all need to receive from you, God. 
That we would lay aside pride. That we would lay aside anything in us that points us to ourselves and makes us believe we're something that we're not. And the reason it's so important that we lay that aside is because if we can't do that, we can't see what we need from you. Because the pride just gets in the way. So Lord, we pray that prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed. We pray for the wisdom to look to you and acknowledge it before men that we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. For those that are here this morning, God, that have been fighting a battle for years and years and years and have just lost over and over and over again. And maybe they've even just given up and said, well, I guess this is just how it's always going to be. It's never going to be better than this. That God, today, they would see the lie in that. And that today we would trust you. Laying down our, our pride and our guilt and our shame. And saying, God, take this thing from me. Lead me in the way everlasting. As I look to you and ask you to search me and know my heart. God, that we would bow in humility before you today. And receive the gift of forgiveness. But also receive empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. That gives us the wherewithal to stand. To take our position. Stand where we are supposed to stand. Not move from the truth that you have told us. Receive what you have for us. And watch you work as only you can. There are things we've been trying to break free from for years and years that in a moment you can release us from. God, thank you. Thank you for unshackling us from those chains even here this morning. God, for those that have made that decision and said, that's me. That's me today, Andy. That's me. I got to let it go. I'm so tired of doing this. I'm so tired of living this way. Today, I drop my pride and I say, God, I need you. And today, I receive your forgiveness. Lord, I pray. I pray for that individual or the multiple individuals that may be in earshot of my voice, either online or in this room, and that today they would be bold enough to say, God, I give it to you. That they would trust you enough to say, we don't know what to do. But we're looking to you. And we thank you that forgiveness is found in Jesus. But also the ability to walk that thing out and to honor you. That's found in you too, God. 
we don't have to leave here the way we came in. We receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name.